Thanks for tuning in. My name's Andre Servin, and you're listening to Off the Roost Podcast, brought to you by Off the Roost Custom Calls, turkey calls for the serious hunter. Join me and my co-host, Paul Murdahl, as we delve into the world of the wild turkey, covering everything from calling tips and tactics and hunting strategies to the latest equipment available, featuring interviews from special guests and custom call giveaways. We'll do our best to keep you up to date on this obsession we call turkey hunting. We appreciate you joining us. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome everybody. You're listening to the Off the Roost podcast, and this is episode nine. As always, I'm here with my buddy Paul. Paul, how you doing? Uh, doing wonderful, as usual. It's um, winter. Winter showed up for a couple days, and she's starting to fade back out again. Oh yeah, you know what I was gonna say. I can promise you, the turkeys were gobbling today because when I left my house. The sun was out and the birds were chirping. When the birds start chirping, that's the first sign that spring is getting ready to move in. You know, I seen I seen the local the local pothole here just off the river that I drive by every day, pretty much on the way to and from work, was loaded with ducks on their way back north. So mm-hmm. it, it had been since since be- probably December was the last time I had seen ducks in there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I know when I left my house, I was like, man, it's beautiful. And it reminds you a little bit that, like, you know, because where we live, the the winters can be so intense, you know. When you start getting those little snippets of spring, it just reminds you of what's what's coming, you know. Right. We've had that pretty much all winter, though. It has been good, but I haven't heard the birds chirping because I think the birds weren't here, right? Yeah, yeah, they're probably on their way back. Yep. You know, like I said, I was seeing the ducks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's always a fun time, too, man, that early spring. I, I have some fond memories of that because when I moved out here and I was doing my scouting for my first turkey season, it was, you know, during that time period, just when the snow was melting, the birds were coming back, and... You know the woods were still pretty bare and open. You know, and yep, uh, it's a good time. But uh, <clears throat> so, where was I going with that? Oh, uh, I will be doing some scouting tomorrow, and I haven't decided if I'm gonna be going down to scout some turkey action, or if I should go scout my deer area. What do you think? Deer. So, the deer area closes at the end of the month, right? But considering my limited or the times that I will be hunting this spring, I kind of want to go check out some like afternoon, midday hangout spots where I think the birds may be hanging out and get really familiar with those areas before before the season comes in. I figure if I go now, the birds aren't there yet or supposedly not there yet. Yeah. Right. And it, it, regardless, maybe if they are and you bump them right now, it might not affect it come April, you know? Well, 
Yeah, that, and, and if you bump them right now, it may have been the case they were going to be a mile away or two miles away anyways mm-hmm. come, come April. Mm-hmm. So what do you so, think? Do I go Do I go check out the deer spot or do I go yeah. check out the turkey spot? De- deer hunting's like, what, seven months from now? It is, but there's a bedding area I want to tear, tear apart. You know, I really want to get in there and learn the exits and all that stuff. But yeah, at yeah. the same time, I'm almost thinking, oh, always, always looking for new turkey spots. Well, I'm thinking that uh, with the deer spot, it could just be one of those. I'll just hunt it when the season begins and probably blow it. But I might be able to get gather some good intel. You know, I might be able to watch them and see how they're accessing that area. Right. So. Right, it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, yeah, I. It's normally when you're bow hunting them, you're or you're thinking about for rifle hunting, getting set up for. Or? A little bit of both, I guess. I kind of don't really do any uh, gun scouting until maybe like a couple weeks before the season. Right. But this area in particular. I kind of want to know about it because it's a good uh, pre-rut spot. And right. uh, I, I tell yeah, myself every year that I'm going to go in there and figure it out, but I, I haven't guess, yet. I guess the what I keep thinking about is, are they going to be on the same type of behavioral patterns now as they would be in the fall? You know, using the same areas and stuff like that. I, I you know, And I guess the only way you'll know is, by going and checking it out. Well, I wouldn't be doing it <clears throat> to see what they're doing now. I would mainly be referencing sign from sign. Rut, rut sign and stuff, you know? Right, right, right. Like if it looked like, oh, that was from November or late October, you know? Yeah, I thought I thought this was a turkey hunting podcast. It is, it is. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, almost, almost, almost making my stomach turn. All this deer talk. All right, cool. You're right. And so, since that's the case, let's go ahead and hop on back to uh, to turkeys. So, as as we're getting into this, I I got a question for you. All right, what do you got? So, a little while back here, a couple months ago, I had asked you if you um if you ever used your guitar picks for for um freeing up the reeds on your diaphragm calls. Okay. Hint, hint, hint. hint. Guitar pick. Yeah. Did you get one? No, I haven't. I was just wondering if if you've ever tried it. No, I've heard of guys using uh, plastic uh, toothpicks. Yeah, I do the toothpicks. I was just wondering because the guitar pick had a nice flat. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if it would be easier to to get in there because I'm always going to read. Right, I'm always poking my reeds trying to separate them with the toothpick. Mm -hmm. But if you guys didn't get that, that was kind of a off offhanded reference to the call giveaway oh hey let's touch on that real quick right right so see how does somebody did, enter see how i did that segue i like it yeah pretty nice huh all right so the call giveaway here is um to enter you just got to answer the question who played the guitar in the intro to the episodes here on the podcast and if you were just paying attention here about Two minutes ago, you, you'd have that answer. <laughs> so once you get that answer, you just email it to us at offtheroostpodcast at gmail.com. All right. 
So you, you email that answer to us, and you'll put um, call giveaway in the subject line. And then um, the entry's got to be received by March 1st at 11.59 p.m. to give us time to process it so we can get the call out to you or announce the winners on the on the next episode that we're putting out. Um, we've got the YouTube video up. Yeah, go ahead and get in a little bit of detail in, uh, about that for the listeners that haven't checked it out. Right, so we got the YouTube video up, and it's just me kind of going over and, you know, explain, you know, the finish on the calls and kind of what they did, and I go over and play a few times, play them, you know, some clucks and purrs and yelps, kind of go through them, mm-hmm. kind of show you what they can do and whatnot. It's a nice video. I like it. All right. It's not just <laughs> you just cranking away. You know, you're you're describing and explaining the calls, you know. Right. Right. And uh, the, the, that channel's just, you just type in Off the Roost Podcast. That's kind of the title we got for everything, even TikTok, Off the Roost Pod. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if anybody's worried, it's going to be free shipping. I, I'm going to pay the shipping on anything. So if you're worried about getting stuck with the shipping bill on it, it it'll be free shipping in in the lower 48. And that's for shipping purposes, folks. Right. <clears throat> yeah, we've been getting some listeners uh, in other countries. We we're, There's more. It's getting added to the list. Well, I mean, they, they, they can be out of the country. They just got to have it shipped within the lower 48. That's true. If they have sent it to their parents' house or something like that. Or a friend or something. Yeah. So there you go, folks, for the out-of-country listeners. If you want to go that route and you have a friend in the United States or family and you want to send it there, go ahead and enter. Cool. So let's talk about this uh, episode we got coming up. And uh, we have... I like calling him the Goblin Champ, but he's currently... He didn't win this this specific uh, number one this year. But we have Joe Slayton on. And Joe consistently is always placing within the top three. And that's very impressive. And I know this year at the 2024 uh, NWTF convention, he placed third in the Goblin Contest. And he also makes calls... Makes locator calls, mouth calls, box calls, all that stuff. Right. And he, 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 had, he had a call place. He did. First yeah. Too, didn't he? Yeah. And he won the uh, Grand National Call Making Locator Division, which, uh, and it looks uh, like an owl hooter. So, right. congrats, Joe. Uh, yep. That's very awesome. But uh, yeah, so this is a great episode. Uh, Joe kind of runs through uh, runs through his calls, runs through the gobbling. Uh, he kind of does a little demo and how to do the gobbling. We run through a lot of stuff with Joe. Yes, this one. Yep, and uh, pretty much runs the gambit. Yep, yep. He goes through all of his calls, and we talk a little bit of tactics and stuff. And uh, you know, Joe, which this I didn't know about this, but Paul brought it up. Joe was experimenting. Uh, when he was making his own decoys, and we kind of got into that a little bit too. Yep. Um, and it's a, it's a good one, man. It's a good uh, it's a good episode uh, chatting with uh, the Goblin Champ from California. I'll refer to him that way. <laughs> one of your homeboys. He's one of my homeboys. There, there you go. I like that. <laughs> cool. So, I guess with that said, Paul, anything you want to add to it? Not that I can think of. Right now, um, the only thing I can think of is Mississippi 
non-resident drawing announcements will be on Thursday, I believe. Okay, you know what? First. Now that you mentioned that, I'm going to check Minnesota real quick because uh, Minnesota Wild Turkey. And they still have not posted their results. But that's okay. I put in for it, so. <clears throat> yeah. The one, the one that gets me about the Mississippi is they don't let you know until like three weeks before the season opens and how's how's most normal people you know that don't live right across the border supposed to get the time off and plan the vacation and stuff like that and you know a three-week period i think it's shutting out a lot of people so you think it'd be better if it was i I think it's geared i think it's geared just for keeping the people around mississippi happy and hot and I, I think they're they're trying to keep it within that area states and I mean that's the only reason why I could think because there's no reason other than that to have the drawing just three weeks you could have it in the middle of you know September if you wanted to and yeah. give people give people time you know because if you get a group of five guys that wants to go on a trip you know or three guys are they all three going to be able to get time vacation. off work yeah vacation and get everything planned and in a three-week period, mm-hmm. you know, who's going to take care of the kids and stuff like that, you know? Yep, yep. yep. So I, it's something I just don't quite understand. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, hopefully you get it. Yeah, right. So I was going to say, it won't bother me if I get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah, with that said, this is uh, episode nine. We got on uh, Joe Slayton. Uh, enter the box call contest. Uh You'll be happy with whatever call you uh, decide to go with. And uh, let's all hope uh, Paul gets uh, picked for Mississippi so he can get out there. Right, right. All right, cool. Let's get into it. Um, calling in competitions since 1986. Um, won a few, lost a bunch. Um, then I started competing in the Grand National. I won the California State Championship in 91. That was the first year I won the state championship. <clears throat> and I went to the Grand Nationals, qualified for the Grand Nationals uh, three years in a row, 91, 92, 93. And I competed at uh, the Grand Nationals those three years. And then I didn't go for a while. And then I went started going back around 2010, I think it was. And I started competing in the Goblin Contest in 2012 and been competing there. I think I missed two or three years since then. Yeah, and then you won 2015 and 2022, right? Yes, I won the, the Goblin Championship 20, 2015, 2022. So so you won twice and came in second three times. Yes, and came in third three times. Wow, that's uh, pretty impressive. Always in the top three. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how many times have you won the uh, California competition? I think I think it's four. What happened in in 95, they stopped having a contest in California for years. And then they didn't come back to like maybe 2004 or 2006, somewhere in there. They they had one. And then they had uh, on and off. We've had them. We haven't had one for another like four years, you know, but we had them a couple of years. I helped uh, put them on for several years 
and there wasn't a whole lot of interest. There was only just a few of us, uh, me and a fellow, my name is Sean Hunkins, who was a California guy. He's moved now. He's in North okay. Carolina, but, uh, him and I kind of try to put them on for a while. Yeah, that's cool. And I know me and you were, uh, we were kind of speaking beforehand about you being a California guy and, uh, you know, I'm originally a, a California guy as well. So for me, man, you're, you're like, you're kind of, uh, you're kind of our guy, you know, that's, that's how I feel. You're, you're our, you're our representative, you know, especially California is one of those places that in, in hunting in general, but turkey hunting in particular doesn't really get mentioned a whole lot. So, uh, I don't mention it. <laughs> yeah. So, but with that, I feel like you're 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 my guy. So, well, I'm just a turkey hunter. That's all, and I like to do everything that has to do with the turkey. You know, I've raised turkeys since 1994, almost every year, on and off, but almost every year. So I've had turkeys here at my house when you say raising turkeys what kind of turkeys uh most of it's just um general turkey but i got some from a hatchery one year that were rios okay and i raised them for a while and some raccoons got a hold of them and it's just a constant battle because everything wants to kill the turkey and eat it you know so from the time they're a poult till the time they're grown yeah if they can get caught something will eat them so and I'm curious to hear what your opinion is on this. And I've heard basically if a guy wants to get good at calling, that he should probably get himself a pet turkey. Absolutely. The real thing is there's nothing like it. So if you want to learn how to sound like a turkey, get a real turkey. Yeah. Make your own mouth calls. There you go. And then yeah. you'll get better for sure. Yeah. What I really like about being able to make your own mouth calls is the infinite adjustments that you can make. And uh, I I mainly kind of started doing that because, well, I guess, you know, I got serious about the calling, you know, and, uh, oh, I, I don't know. When, when you're making your own, you can kind of garner it to your liking a little bit, you know. And, and there's a lot of great calls uh, out there. And I don't know. I guess I just kind of felt like in the progression of things, it was the next step for me. You know, hey, I got a question for you, Joe. When you're yeah. raising your turkeys, yeah, I I read somewhere that you actually made stuffer decoys. Is is that true? Yeah, I, cool. I did it for a few years, and I still have one in the garage right now. But I'd hardly ever use it. Um, I hardly ever use decoys. We'll we'll take one with us every once in a while. But with my granddaughter, I took it. We wanted to make sure it was you know the best decoy or situation that the turkey would focus in on the decoy and not her. So, right. And it works like a charm, let me tell you. What I do with my dad when me and my dad, I don't, I don't use decoys. And when I get my dad out, just he's, he's pretty fidgety and moves around a little bit and gets excited. So we get the decoy just to try to keep the, keep the gobbler's attention when it's on its way in. So he doesn't pick my dad off so much. Yeah, Exactly. And there's nothing better than an actual stuffer decoy. You can't imitate the actual feathers of a turkey. There's some good ones out there, but you just can't imitate it. Okay, so uh, I actually have some questions now. Uh, one is, I'm actually not too familiar with the, what a stuffer decoy is. Is this, uh, 
Is this just a decoy that you're putting actual turkey feathers on? No, it's a mounted turkey. A mounted turkey, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, you buy a styrofoam, some styrofoam for the neck and put eyeballs in it and the whole bit, you know, you take the whole body out, you skin it out, and then you dry the feathers and then put it around the actual styrofoam decoy with wires in his legs and and it looks like a turkey. Yeah, it looks like a real it one. It is, real turkey. Yeah, so I was actually, uh, I heard this or read this somewhere that part of the reason why, and this is when uh, not using a decoy uh, or using a rubber decoy or all the other uh, different options that are, are available, um, sometimes, you know, you can try to call a gobbler up to the ridgetop and he's going to pop his head just kind of right over the crest and and peek out on the top. Um, that part of the thing with the iridescent feathers is sometimes they don't even really need to scan very well. They're almost as if they're looking for the iridescence. They'll go up, they'll scan it, and if they don't see that iridescence, that that's almost enough to get them to kind of be like, all right, I'm, I'm heading out of here. I didn't see anything. What What's your opinion on that? Does, does that sound correct? Is that too extreme? Um, I'm not sure about the iridescence or whatever, but a turkey is known for just peeking his head up over the ridge and looking to see what he wants to see. And if he doesn't see anything, it's gone. And usually he's gone. Um, but sometimes a decoy works pretty good in that situation. If he's got something to look at, um, sometimes it's a bad situation. If, you know, if he does, if it's not real enough for him to believe that it's an actual turkey. Uh, yeah. And then sometimes it actually helps because he thinks maybe the hen went down over the hill where he can't see and he'll come on up further to try to get closer. But, mm -hmm. you know, there's just all different kinds of theories. But they def definitely will just do the peekaboo and check it out. And if they don't like something, they're gone. Okay. Uh, so these uh, these stuffer decoys, uh, are they jakes? Are they hens? Toms? Is it the whole, do you got the whole thing or what were you mainly putting out? Uh, mostly hens, um, but I've made a few. I made a couple jakes. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, I have never had a turkey shy away from a stuffer hen. Never. Okay. Now they don't always come to it, but I've never had them shy away from. And I've had them shy away from some good decoys, regular decoys, but I've never had them start shy away from a stuffer. Like I said, they don't come. On, they don't come in all the time, but they don't freak out and get scared and run away or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, they're not afraid of it. Because the hens will come in and want to beat the crap out of it. They'll peck the head. I've had them peck holes all in the top of the head while I'm waiting for a gobbler to come in, you know, follow the hen in, and they just beat up my decoy. I had them stand on top of the decoy and paw at it. I've had some Jake's paw, the, all the feathers off. I was hunting with Dave Owens one year, and we called in these three Jake's, and they were all around the decoy, and all of a sudden, one of them pushed it over, yeah. and they got on top of it, and it just spread her wings completely out, and he they just clawed the decoy, and the feathers were everywhere. She was pretty much ruined. Wow. Well, when that was happening, were you kind of bummed out about that? Were you kind of like, my decoy? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, I actually fixed her up, put her wings back on, because it actually pulled one of the wings off. I had to actually put the wing back on and they can, they can lose a lot of feathers and still look pretty good once you put them everything back together. So, you know, that's, uh, that's interesting though. I'm curious, why would the Jake's beat up a hen? What's the, uh, what's the idea behind that? 
the Jakes weren't beating up the hen. They were breeding. Oh, okay. Okay, I get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, they okay. over and started getting on top of her, just pawing at her, you know, trying to breed her. Yeah, just kind of went nuts. So, yeah. That's cool. How was it hunting with Dave Owens? It was great. It was great. That was before he had Pinhoti Project. Yeah, he's quite the caller, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. That was before he won his first Grand Nationals, mm-hmm. but he... uh he came to California. He needed a. He's doing the U.S. Slam, you know. Yep. And uh, he killed a turkey with me, and then left the next day and drove to Nevada. He had a Nevada tag, and one day he killed his Nevada turkey and then drove towards Oregon, I think it was, or somewhere. Wow. He was going somewhere else. When I, when I, when I first started turkey hunting, I'd take trips down to north northern Georgia. And um, I'd actually be hunting. I was I was hunting not too far away from where Dave grew up. Yeah. Right. And I'd, I'd be hunting on the Pinhoti Trail, actually, right there. I'm pretty sure that's probably, a, you know, one of the reasons where he got his name from. Yeah. And uh, I know from the stories you've kind of told me, that's kind of like where you cut your teeth, huh, Paul? Right. That's I spent a good deal of time there, you know, say my first 10 years of turkey hunting. Yeah. Um, so... Um, you know, what's interesting is uh, me me and Paul, we joke because uh, I've never killed a bird uh, over a decoy. I always have a decoy with me in my vest, and it's just a uh, like a cheap foam mossy oak uh, decoy, and I don't really use it. I don't <laughs> I actually can't really think of a of a of a effective time that I've used it. Because there's times I'll get set up and do some blind calling, and then a bird gobbles behind me, you know? So it's like, all right, well, now i got to turn around, you know? And the decoy's over there. But um, Paul jokes that it's my security blanket. And uh, and I, I told him, I'm like, you know, it, it kind of is, because it's one of those things where I'm not going to use it, but I just kind of like knowing it's there in, in, case, uh, in case I feel like I need it. But yeah. Um, I mentioned that because I heard you were saying about gobblers that have shied away from other decoys that were maybe not so realistic, but these stuffer decoys, they seem to not have shied away from that. So in your opinion, you think I got to get something better than those foam fold-up decoys? Uh, (laughs) When a turkey wants to come in, he'll come in no matter whether you have a decoy or not or whatever. And when he doesn't want to come in a lot of times he ain't going to come in no matter what you do. But sometimes you can, you can coax them in with, you know, with a good decoy. Uh, and most of the time, if I'm going to use one, it's because I have a camera and I want to get more video. And that, and that takes the attention away from, or if I have a young hunter, you know, um, it takes the attention away from the caller, which is usually me and, and more focused out on the decoy or whatever. So it just depends on what you like, to, how the way you want to hunt or whatever. But like when I go out of state and that kind of stuff, I, I don't ever take a decoy with me. With the bird shying away from your decoy, Andre, it, it may be just the, um, the actual gobbler. It may be the, his status in the flock. He may be a subordinate. So right. he's going to be a little, you know, iffy about coming in to a decoy, you know, whether it's a Jake or not, he just could maybe shy away and, fade off where if it was the dominant or or a gobbler with higher status within the flock he'd probably come come walking right in storming right in and show him who's boss yeah 
if he's been beat up enough, he gets pretty shy away from, you know, pretty much any other turkey. Well, so I can't confirm uh, or I can't confirm if there's been any sort of uh, visual of a Tom that was coming in and saw my decoy and, and didn't come in. But where my whole kind of fear comes from is I got set up, I roosted a bird and he was in a tree over a field and I got set up across the field. It was maybe 80 yards across. So I picture, I, I imagine by the time he pitches down, he'll be almost within range. And I was hoping to maybe call him in an extra 10 and seal the deal. And he did. He flew out. He landed at about 60 and started strutting. And I just watched that bird just strut out of my life. And I know, looking back on it, I'm like, man, if I would have had a decoy in that field, he would have at least come in uh, within shooting range. And then then there was another time where, you know, I'm calling to a bird and I had the bird go. It was interesting, too. He went from the timber into the open field and started gobbling in the field, which, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's kind of like... Maybe he came looking for me. He didn't find me. He does want the hen. So he goes into the field where he's open. It's visual. And now he's calling in the field kind of like, hey, I'm over here. But guess what? I didn't have a decoy with me. I did try maneuvering around that bird. Um, As Mayfield says, he he was going to the stage. Exactly. (laughs) And so what ended up happening, man, was because I wasn't ready at the stage. I think he got nervous and I heard him just kind of his gobbles got further and further as he moved on to the private property. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious, Joe, uh, how often do you include the uh, gobbling into your hunting routine? Um, I usually, usually as a last resort type thing, unless I get into a situation where I know the turkey and I know he's very aggressive and he wants to fight and that kind of stuff, then I'll challenge, I'll challenge gobbling. But I, I'm really careful with, when I do it and how often I do it. Um, I've called in people, you know, my son and I laugh. We we're, were hunting in Oregon one year and we were sitting up on this ridge and we had this turkey gobbling to us. Well, these guys pull up in a vehicle, they hear the turkey gobble. We're on one ridge and the turkey's on the other. We were going to that turkey. When these guys pull up in a vehicle, they hear the turkey gobble and they start walking after them. Well, I, I kept calling the turkey kept gobbling. I was hoping to bring the turkey cross from without them guys shooting it. Well, all of a sudden the turkey went quiet. He shut up, never said another sound, never said another word. And then we seen the guys turn around and start walking back to their truck. And as they're walking back to their truck, I gobbled at them and they got all excited and they, they were putting their stuff in their truck. They actually put their stuff back on and they were getting their guns all ready and they were heading up towards us. That's great. And I gobbled two or three more times, and then I just kept walking, going away, and I kept gobbling the whole time. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Do you think that bird maybe saw those guys? Oh, they spooked him, guaranteed. Yeah. They didn't shoot, so. What yeah. what type of call are you normally doing your gobbles on? You uh, I have a, a call that I make for for a gobble. Um, I can gobble on almost any call, but um, I have a, one that I, I call a gobble call. It's a, it's a split V. It's not a split V, actually. It's kind of a turkey foot cut, kind of like that. 
Um, and it's a three read call. Okay. So, so it's a diaphragm. Right. Diaphragm. I was under the impression that you were doing it with a tube call. No, no, no. No. So we're in, we're in for a real treat here then. Tube calls uh, would never come even close on the stage. Okay. You can gobble on a tube call if you're turkey hunting. Yeah. They make a good good enough gobble to to call in a turkey that uh, you know that way or whatever. But as far as competing wise or any of that kind of stuff, no, it's it's a mouth diaphragm. Okay. Cool. I was I was actually a couple years ago I was messing around and trying to tune one of my goose calls. Uh huh. And it was out. Of, I had it out of tune, and when I went to blow on it, I went ah. You know what that sounds like? Yeah. So then I started doing some gobbles on it, and I thought it sounded pretty good. Yeah. But I took it up to the local park up here where we got some turkeys that hang in the woods around the park, and I had set my phone in the tree, and I walked away, you know, 35 yards just over a little little rise so I could see what it actually sounded like in the woods away from where the phone was, and... I gobbled a few times and I had the dog running around and whatnot. And all right, let's go back and get the phone and see what it sounds like. So I get back to the car and I start listening, playing back the recording. And I could hear myself gobbling in the background and it sounded pretty good. But then all of a sudden I hear a hen clucking. So she must have liked it too because she'd come up and walked underneath my phone and I think the dog ended up chasing her away. I never seen her. I never even knew she was there till yeah. I listened to the recording. So it was kind of like the Hank call that was made several years ago. Is that what it was? It, it, I, it, I think it was it was um I think it was a polycarbonate short read and I can't goose call and I forget who the maker was. Oh. And and it turns out, you know. There you go. That's my owl hooter. Wow, you can do it with an owl hooter too, huh? That yeah. sounds really good. Do you sell those uh, on your website? Yeah, I sell owl hooters. Okay, and then so, uh, oh, what's that, Paul? You were going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I, I was only able to use it a couple times before I ended up losing it. Mm. <laughs> I, I didn't actually get to figure out how well it worked. You need a lanyard. Put that baby on a lanyard. Tight right. to you. I, I had it in my pocket of my vest, and I was in a hurry, and I left my pocket open. And I'm guessing when I was ducking under some branches or something, it fell out. Was that in Mississippi? No, that was um, that was in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, well, since we kind of got you on the topic, uh, would you mind doing a little demonstration for us uh, with your uh, award-winning gobble? Joe, <laughs> the gobble call, sure. So this is the the gobble call that I make. Okay. That I gobble okay. with. Okay. And is this it's got, is this is ahead. this call available on your website? Do you make that, or this is your yes. own? Okay. Uh, this is my own, but uh, yeah, I, I make them. Uh, I have them on the website. Okay. It says gobble on it. Gobble okay. call. Dang. That's amazing. I mean, it'd probably fool me, man. Then when you put a cone to it, right. it gives it a little more volume, and it just gives it a deeper tone 
more like a gobbler. Yeah. Now when I'm hunting, um, I actually have uh, a little tube that I actually uh, gobble into, but I don't I don't take a cone or anything like that. And I've called I've gobbled up turkeys. I killed turkeys. Matter of fact, some of the biggest turkeys I've ever killed, I killed because I gobbled at For them sure. and they came to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Biggest uh, spurred turkey that I ever killed, inch and three quarter spurs in Missouri. I gobbled at them. There was five different gobblers that were out there fighting and doing different things. And then they pretty much established who was the winner. And I gobbled at them. And they came, two of them came right to me. And I ended up killing one, the one that was strutting, and it had inch and three quarter spurs. Wow. So, but. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, especially once you once you add that that to it, it totally changes the thing. And I bet you in the woods, that's you could fool a guy a hundred percent with that for sure. Uh, you know what's funny? You mentioned Missouri. Uh, me and Paul, our experience is Missouri's got a bunch of mean turkeys. Uh, yeah, that's it's a mean bunch out there because I know I heard one turkey beat the crap out of another turkey. And it was in the same little pasture that uh, Paul kind of had that same experience with the bird out there. So we were kind of cracking jokes about about that bird. Uh, we're joking that bird, like you were saying, like an inch. And you said an inch and three quarter spurs. That's a, those are some big spurs, man. Um, so, and that would be the type of turkey that I would gobble yeah. at. If you've seen beat up other turkeys, and you know whatever has all the hens mm-hmm. or whatever situation, I'd get in as close as I can and I'd gobble at that. For turkey. sure. Um, yeah. So, would you recommend uh, for a guy that learning how to gobble? is probably something you want to kind of add to your toolbox? Um, Every tool that you can have will make you a better turkey. You know, I mean, we all, at least me, I won't say all, I've got stuff in my turkey vest that I don't need, hardly ever use, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's there in case I might need it. Uh, And, you know, I just try to be proficient with all the different type of calls. Because I've had turkeys that, you know, wouldn't gobble to a mouth call, but I pull out a pot call or glass call and they'll gobble or pull out a box call and man, they'll ring, you know, um, Mm -hmm. same thing with trumpet. I've had not gobble to anything. And I knew there was a turkey there. I knew there was a turkey there within a hundred yards and he wouldn't gobble for nothing. I pulled the trumpet out, yelped one time on the trumpet and he gobbled. I love it. Get back to to the gobble that you were doing. Why don't you walk us through the mechanics that you're that you're using to get that sound out of that call? I mean, what what are you doing with your tongue? I would imagine you're bringing the air up like you would in normal diaphragm. Are you are you you like saying words into it, or are you going like ticka 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 or something? You got something that you're doing? Yeah, you're you're doing the ticka ticka thing like a duck call. Right. Um, I I actually have a little video that I did many or probably more than 10 years ago on my on my youtube page that has me showing you how to actually do that do the gobble and it, you start out with ticka 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 i practice a lot um you know, driving down the road and that kind of stuff without a mouth call just by going because you're you're making a chamber in your mouth and, and um still going through 
the sound that you would do if you had a mouth call in. Um, because they're, it's hard on a call because you're forcing a lot of air through the reeds at one time, you know, and, and putting a lot of pressure on it. So they don't last a long time. I mean, you're not going to have a 10-year-old gobble call, mouth call. It just ain't going to happen if you're, if you're gobbling on a lot, you know. So I'll... So you're going ticka 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 ticka, and I've I've actually timed it for years on how long a turkey takes to gobble, how long, how many rolls does he have, and a lot of times when people start to to gobble, they'll run those together, and it'll be you know it's more like um, they don't get the. They run those actual notes together and it just doesn't sound that good. It's when you get the roll that the turkey has. You watch it, you look at a slow motion video of a gobbler's mouth when he's gobbling and he's going gobble, 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 gobble. I mean, it's doing those rolls uh, with each note. And that's what I try to put into the call. So, right. So, would you, so no, you break down the gobble. You know, each individual note of the gobble, would you like say that might be like a yelp and he's just putting a bunch of yelps together, you know, and you want to be able to hear each individual yelp say to say throughout the gobble is, is that pretty kind much, of pretty that? much each each one of those rolls is an actual no, gobble note. And right. so you want those separated, not run together. Yeah, I love that, man. It seems like you've put in your effort for sure to break down the dynamics of what a gobble is. And obviously that's what makes yours so, so good. And, and I, to, again, to kind of back your point about what most guys are doing, because I know, at least for me, it's what I'm doing. It's, it's something that happens so fast to get good at doing the, doing that role I feel most guys basically go, I'm going to try to ticka, ticka, ticka as fast as I can. And it does just come out as some sort of blur thing. And they just go, oh, well, kind of good enough. You know, at least for me, that's what I was doing. And my excuse for it, I was like, it's a Jake. You know, (laughs) that's why it wasn't so good. So hopefully the bird thinks it's a Jake. But yeah, and and I I do think, uh, yeah. No, that's great. Yeah, just and you don't have to be that precise to fool a turkey. You really don't. Uh, you know, if you get pretty close to that, you, you know, you're you're going to call on a turkey. That has to be done on stage when you're trying to sound like a turkey. Yeah, and so you know, right. do you do you use the gobble? Do you use it to like locate locate roosted gobblers in the evening to try to put in a roost? Where you, uh, you fire up a gobble or something like that to try to get something stirred up? It's not my go-to. You know, usually, especially if I'm hunting at home, I know where the turkeys are going to roost or they're gobbling like crazy before they even fly up in the tree. But when I'm hunting out of state, um, usually go to the owl call. I usually try to get them to, to gobble to an owl hoot. Um, but that the same year that I killed that instant three-quarter turkey in Missouri, I was trying to roost some turkeys, and most of the people, the turkeys won't gobble at night or whatever. But I guarantee you, if I'm... 2,000 miles away, I'm going to be out in the afternoon trying to roost turkey no matter what. Um, and so I was out hooting. I was pretty confident there was turkeys there. 
Uh, I hadn't seen a turkey there yet, but I was pretty confident there was turkeys there. And I owl hooted several times. Regular owls started hooting back at me, started flying over towards me, and we were hooting back and forth. Nothing. And I'm like, before I leave, I'm going to gobble this turkey. I'll gobble here just to see. And I gobbled, and a turkey gobbled back to me about 300 yards away. And I'm like, okay, there's a turkey here. I knew there was a turkey here. We came back the next morning. There were seven different turkeys gobbling. Right. Right. But he, he gave away his position. And so we got set up on him and, and, uh, and there were seven different turkeys gobbling next morning. I, love so it. I, I, I love can, it. I can relate, but not, not using the gobble. You know, I, I'd be, there's a number of times where I'd be sitting, you know, at sundown trying to locate a, a turkey and I'd hit my owl hoots and I'd hit my coyote call and fly up time would come and go and it'd be like, Oh, there's nothing over here. And I'd be back there in the morning bright and early. And when gobble time showed up, there'll be two or three gobblers, not a hundred yards away from me where they had roosted it. And I never heard anything out of them. Never heard of, never heard a call, never heard wings yep. fly up, never heard nothing. It's amazing how, how they can do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make them do it, you know, <laughs> don't give them an option. Needed, needed, needed one of Joe's gobble calls in my pocket is what I needed. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I have a question. Uh, when it comes to doing these, okay, so you, uh, I imagine you tried an owl call. I don't know if you did a coyote before you you tried the uh, the gobble. Uh, on average, how much time is in between before you try doing these things? Like the switching it up. Do you got do you got to give it like a few minutes, I guess, before you kind of switch it up? I usually do. Yeah. You know, you, I don't blow on an owl hooter, and if it doesn't go, uh, no, nothing gobbles at it. Use a mouth call and coyote call. I usually give it a few minutes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even actually change a little bit and, and either call a different direction or move away a little bit uh, just to separate myself so you're not stuck in the same place and they're hearing different sounds from the exact same spot. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure in some more heavily pressured areas, they're used to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, uh, I was doing a little bit of reading, and uh, your company, your turkey call company, is uh, Motherload Turkey Calls, correct? Yes, Motherload Turkey Calls. And if anybody wants to purchase one, they could just go to your website and buy anything they need there, correct? Yep. What do you got there? What do you got on the site, Joe? Uh, I make mouth calls. Um, I, I think I have seven different types of mouth calls. Um, and then I have... I make pot calls, I make tube calls, I make trumpets, I make uh, box calls, and owl hooters, and crow calls. I've been dabbling in the box call making here a little bit myself here the last yeah. maybe about a year. That's one of my box calls that I make. Here, here's the one, here's the one that I got. Nice. Well, let me hear it. This is what we're, this is what we're able to get out of them so far. There you go. It's got a good rollover. That'll kill a turkey. Right, right. I, I had it in the woods a little bit last year. I'm, I'm not very good at playing them. Oh, yeah. 
my the first box calls I I'd been playing would be this one here. I I grew up with or started out with my grandpa's old Lynch. Yeah. But people had messed with it so bad that it, it didn't sound very good, so I never really used it. Well, I'm I'm kind of learning to play them and learning to make them at the same time. Nice. Right. Um, Joe, would you mind? Uh... I guess give give us a little bit of a, a demo of the calls that you make. Give the listeners a kind of an opportunity to kind of hear your calls, get a little sneak peek of what they may be in for, what they may like, and okay. maybe go on and get one themselves. Uh, it's really interesting too that you make that that wide variety of calls. Some call companies only do mouth calls or box calls or or pop calls, but you know mm-hmm. you you seem to do other ones too, and and that's that's really cool. Yeah. I- when I started out, I wanted to try to be proficient as I could um, when I, you know, on all the different types of calls that makes turkey sounds. So when I started making calls, I'm like, I might as well start making everything that, you know, sounds like turkey. So that was what I did. Yeah. Uh, this is Bloodwood over American Chestnut. Where where are you getting your chestnut from, Joe? I got that off Steve Brown. It's Steve actually Brown. a wormy American chestnut. You see the holes in it? Yep. This come from an uh I think it was a hundred year old barn in Missouri somewhere. No, I think it was uh maybe Illinois. Okay. Something like that. But it, it's got some character to it. It's got a bunch of uh different holes in it and stuff. So I would I would imagine you know if you get a you know like a wormy chestnut or a chestnut call, it it's got to be from some type of reclaimed wood, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is a glass over glass. It's a laminated pot. Uh, it's got walnut, uh, zebra, paddock, and cherry. And I got a matching striker top with it with a diamond wood striker. Got a tube call. It's a walnut tube call I make. I'm not familiar with the tube calls. What do you? How, how are you placing that to your mouth? So it's got a piece of latex across the top of it, and I put the inside part of my lip against the latex. And then you blow the air between your lip and the latex. All right. I rest the top of my lip on the top part of the, the rim of the latex there. So you're, you're putting just a slight angle on it then compared to where your mouth is. It's tipped back maybe a little bit towards your mouth. Maybe or are you well, holding that straight out? Straight. It's pretty straight right here. I'm... But your lip fits down inside that groove. Your lip kind of pushes against the latex right in there. It goes right. up against it. And then you just pull your your bottom lip away from the latex, and you get. Mm-hmm. Same thing you would do with your tongue on a mouth. Right. 
I got a I got a few questions uh, about that call. I do have one myself, but it's not it's not wood. It's like plastic or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fine. It doesn't sound anywhere near as nice as yours. Um, I hear those are good uh, locator calls. You can locate with them, yeah. Because Strickland used tube calls for years by just doing a cutting out turkeys, you know, and getting them to gobble. So, um, so are, are those pretty effective out west? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I imagine they're much louder than like a diaphragm call, they are right? Loud, exactly. That's why. And, and a lot of times out west, you're in a lot more open country than you are back east or whatever. So, yeah, any anything that can, you know, reach out there pretty far, uh, you know, you have a good chance of getting a gobble back to it. Getting, getting into the getting into the locating part, like Andre was saying, he was wondering if you located with that call. You know, most people when they're talking locating they talk box calls and pot calls as far as using turkey calls for locating but from what i understand one of the calls you make the trumpet call is supposed to be like the pinnacle because the way it sends the air out you know in, in the one direction that it reaches out farther yeah than, than most yeah there's calls. there's just something about a trumpet that um the sound travels further it's just got a deeper tone to it uh, and the turkeys just react to it for some reason. So, um, and that's one of your trumpets, right? Yeah, that's one I made the other day. That's, oh, cool. It's called, uh, that's Osage. I was going to say that looks like Osage. It's mud cured Osage. It's green right here in this little area. So what, what does mud cured mean? That means the actual um, log or tree, um, Osage tree, was in some, most of the time, either mud or water or river or swamp or something like that. And it sucked the minerals up inside the tree that got into the, the minerals got into the bark of the tree or into the main part of the tree. And it just discolored the actual yellow. That's supposed to be, I mean, it's Osage is yellow like that. Right. You know, I've got some other ones, just straight yellow. And then it just sucked up the minerals into it. And this stuff is like gold. though. <laughs> it's hard to get a hold of. <laughs> it costs an arm and leg. It's beautiful. It's, the Os are, are you familiar with mulberry wood? Uh-huh. So does the Osage, is it is it like the mulberry where it starts out, you know, bright yellow, yellowish, and then as it oxidizes or UV rays get on it, it darkens up, or is the Osage no. it stays? No, Osage, no, if you bite just hedge or Osage, it's just going to be yellow. So it's going to be the color that you got, and it's going to exactly. stay yellow. Well, I mean, th this is completely... Uh, finished and that's what color it is that's what color comes out um they're they're bright yellow you know it's a bright yellow color um and it doesn't change colors by i know what you're talking about by the sunlight or whatever will change colors on it no it doesn't it doesn't do that 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 color in there is actually sucked in through the wood so actual when i was drilling it out it was all nice and green, right? All the shavings were nice and green, and all of a sudden it started turning yellow, yellow, yellow. All the stuff was yellow, so. Sure. Uh, Joe, how long have you been building calls for? 
Uh, I started building mouth calls in 2005. Um, and then I actually started making calls uh, 2010. I started my business in 2010. I started making calls before that, but that was 2010 was when I started my, my business. But I also make cow hooters. And then right. I make mouth calls. I got, like I said, several different types of mouth calls. You heard the gobble call. That's got some good rasp to it. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. great. What cut is what kind of cut is that, Joe? That's a V cut. V cut? Yeah. Is that your Paul's is a V cut? Guy cut too. Is a v cut? Uh actually I've been using cutter. Yeah. So that that's the one I use the most of the time. Uh, but this depends on what I'm I'm trying to do. I also use a ghost cut quite a bit especially in the fall because I use a lot of key keys in the fall. Um, you can still yelp with the, with the um, ghost cut, but I don't like doing any kind of cutting or fly down or anything like that on a ghost cut. I just, I don't sound as good, but. That Yelp actually sounds pretty, it, it's unique compared to what, what you did with the other one. It's a different, it's a different Yelp. It's, it is different. Actually, yeah. I actually like it. <laughs> yeah. That key key was perfect. Right. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's great. I was going to ask, so um, of all your calls, man, if somebody was interested in in getting one, which of the calls in your lineup that you make that you, what would you recommend to them to try out? Uh, I, I think it depends on what kind of a hunter you are. If you're just starting out, um, I believe if you're just starting out, you need a mouth call you need a pot call and you need a box call because on a box call, it doesn't take long just to learn how to slide the <laughs> lid over to the center. a few minutes a couple hours you can get the rhythm of a turkey you can call a turkey in with yelps like that uh, yep. same thing with a pot call a little bit you know all you're going to do is if you get this the angle of the striker correct if it's too far that way it doesn't make sound if it's straight up and down don't very make very good sound but if you get the right angle and then you know just few days few weeks learning on a pot call you can make it start sounding pretty good you know good enough to kill a turkey and then you have the mouth call that's going to take you a lot longer than either one of those but the difference between those and this is that hands free hands free and most of the time you're not calling to a turkey when it gets in close enough to shoot anyway so you have time to put the box call down or the pot call or whatever, um, and get ready to shoot. But 
if he's out there just out of sight and you know he's there, you can hear him spitting and drumming, but he's hanging up and you're already, rather than chance trying to move and get a call to make another call and, you know, just go, you know, and you're already, you're already sitting there with your gun up, you know, so it makes or, a big difference. Or even just to stop him and get him to raise his head up. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, so uh, with your box call and the pot call, do you only make one model or do you have multiple? No, I make multiple different types. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which of your box calls uh, do you recommend? Uh, oh. Well, um, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking after I said that, you know. Well, these are all custom boxes. Uh, I start off with blocks of wood and cut them all down and, and then, you know, hew them out with, with hand tools. So, um, uh, each one is, in other words, I don't make like a walnut and poplar box call and you can get that on a website or whatever. It's just every, every one of them is different. Every one of them is, you know, what I would recommend it if you're going to pick a call out, especially a box call or a pot call, if you can get to a place or, or a show where you can actually pick it up and handle it, that's going to be your best bet. You know, it's yeah. hard to buy something over the internet or in a box that you're not able to use. Um, but if you can get somewhere where, you know, you got a table full of calls and you can pick one up and call on it and pick another one up and call on it, you're going to have a better chance of picking up a call that you, that fits you the best. You know? Right. I would, I would imagine, you know, with the wood and the call makers and whatnot, the variables are pretty great where you're not going to pick up one call and another call and they're going to have made it the same wood and they're probably not going to sound the exact same, even from the same builder. Nope. They will not because the wood is different. And even in a tree, the difference in the wood from here to here is different. So if you've got to cut out of that piece of wood, each ends of those pieces of wood are going to be different. You know right. what I mean? So, even the way the grain is laying within exactly. the box call too. Exactly. So, uh, so I, so your box calls, they're made to order then. Um, I usually have some that I've already made that are, you know, that I have on, on the website. I think I, I have a matter of fact, I think it's, uh, bloodwood and might be bloodwood and, and, uh, black limba is the pitch okay. the one that I have on there. But if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they can, you know, just write me a note or whatever and say, I'm looking for this type of call or what do you recommend or whatever, or they okay. can get a hold of me on Facebook. I do a lot of stuff on Facebook where uh, a lot of times I'll make a call and call on it and, you know, post it on Facebook yeah. and people will say, Hey, I want that call. So awesome. I, I, I would imagine, you know, if somebody's looking say, say like they're going for, Miriam's out in California or out, out west or something, they're looking for a higher pitch call. I would imagine there's certain wood combinations that lend themselves a little better to the getting a higher crisper sound for Miriam's and other yep. wood combinations that are gonna be maybe a little deeper, a little raspier for like a like an eastern or something. Yep, exactly. Uh, Joe, I was going to ask, and it seems like people kind of have uh, different uh, opinions on this, but I'm curious to hear what yours is. Uh, when it comes to the box calls or or, or any any call that you're going to use, have you noticed? Is there a preference, or is it better to have 
for example, a higher pitched call when you're hunting western birds? Or can you go out there with a box call that somebody's using in Tennessee and go out to go out west and use that same box call? Um, is there a difference there with the birds, the way they respond to those calls? I think, I mean, I think a higher pitch call out west uh, is more effective because it, I think it reaches further and we have more open area. Um, you know, some of the land that we hunt here uh, in California, most of the western states, um, is pretty open woods. You know, so you want a call that's gonna gonna carry as far as you you know as far as you can get it to carry, and usually a higher pitch call will carry like that. And it seems to be the Rios and the Merriams have a little higher pitch anyway with the hens, but it's not like if you've got a raunchy, you know, box call from Tennessee uh, that it won't work out west. It'll work. I mean, the, it's just you got to maybe get closer to the turkey so they can hear it. Um, but a turkey's a turkey. They don't know they live in South Dakota. They don't know they live in Tennessee. And they hear they think, oh, here we go, another girl, you know. So, okay. yeah, I don't think it matters. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was we, always kind of curious about that. We kind of got into that with the guests we had on a previous previous episode, and he, he, he pretty much confirmed what you just said there. Yeah. He thought the higher pitch and why the, the birds were possibly higher pitched was because he thought it was going to travel farther in, in the conditions out there. Yep. Uh, Joe, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Western hunting, hunting in California, but just kind of Western hunting in general. Um, what is, uh, I guess I've always been curious, what's the uh, the public land situation uh, out like over there in California? Is a lot of the hunting uh, over there predominantly kind of done on, on private property, or does a guy kind of have some good options with public land? Uh, there's minimal options with public land in California. There's only a Minimal. few areas that have public land. Uh, some of the areas around some of the lakes um, because of the high water mark and that kind of stuff. Uh, but for the most part, most of California's turkeys are on private property. And that's okay. that's just a fact. It's almost like Texas where there's not a whole lot of public land access to hunt turkeys. Um, there's a few like a uh, few wildlife management areas that are a, a draw for the first couple weekends. Uh, and then it opens up to the public. Um, and, and then you, you have access, but it's still for the amount of people that we have and the amount of hunter we have, there's not a lot of public land. I, I, I wasn't out there turkey hunting, but I was, I was in California and in the mountains. And I, I know where there's a few turkeys, I think on, on public land. But I also know where there's a lot, a lot of poison oak. <laughs> and it, oh, and you're gonna, you're gonna find some poison oak and it's, around. It's the right in there where them turkeys are right in there with that poison oak. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I snuggled up against a bunch of poison oak setting up on a turkey. Are you allergic to it? I'm not. The only time I've really gotten it was during the fall when it's pretty much dormant and there's no leaves on it. Uh, and I was on a bear hunt and I was grabbing it 
help myself pull myself up this mountain that was straight up and uh, got it on my hands. But I'm not really allergic to I have a little spot every once in a while here or there, but I usually don't even look at it. I just get out and sit down right in amongst it. I'm I'm, I'm pretty much getting it every spring. <laughs> you're one of those guys, huh? Yeah. <laughs> if you can see it, you're getting it, huh? Yeah, I'm getting it every spring. Uh, I actually that's right. last year I had when I last year when I was down south at the beginning of the year I had to I had to go to doctor on demand in order to get me a prescription to take care of it when I was on my trip down there and, and I and I got it like the third day of my trip the second day of my trip and I was there for like two weeks. <laughs> so in I was, California, I was fighting, when you're here. No, no, this was down south in um, in Mississippi. Oh, okay. So, so I had to fight it for pretty much the whole time I was down there. Wow. That's no fun. <laughs> no. Um, so, uh, Joe, how do you go about, uh, f- how do you go about finding birds? Uh, where am I hunting? <laughs> uh, just Western in wet Western, uh, anywhere out West, I guess. The like what, what's thing, your tactics for that? The one about Western turkeys is you're usually hunting Rio's or Merriam's and they like to gobble. Our turkeys, yeah. our turkeys are gobbling before it gets dark and they're gobbling an hour before it gets daylight. So it's not like you have to make them gobble or anything like that. Um, okay. I have seen on occasion where, um, turkeys that are hunted pretty hard. Now in California, um, I was telling you about some of the waterways around the lakes. I was actually roosted a turkey the night before uh, the season, opening day. And uh, this turkey had seven hens and he was by gobbler, had seven hens. And so I got in and snuck in and sat down. Well, a guy came in on a boat. Uh, I camped not far from there. So I was actually on the turkey way before dark, way before daylight. And the guy came in on a boat and I I could see the turkey in the tree. It was just getting light enough to see. And I'd already seen, I'd already roosted him the day before. So I knew where I, where he was. And I could see the turkey in the tree, gobbler in the tree. And the guy pulls in on the boat, stops, get, I don't know if he got out of the boat, but he called from the boat. Turkey didn't make a sound. Called two or three more times. Turkey never made a sound. He got in the boat and he took off. And it, just as he was getting out of sight, the turkey gobbled. Wow. And so, I mean, I watched the whole thing. You know, nobody knew I was around. The turkey didn't know. The hunter didn't know. Nothing. And I watched the whole scenario play out. And uh, that, turkey, that turkey had had that done to him many times. Right. He that turkey's played that game before. Yeah, something. So I imagine when that was happening, when the guy came up and you heard the call, you were probably like, oh, man, yeah. you can't this can't be you can't be serious. I hope you don't man. mess me up. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure if that bird would have gobbled, he would have pulled that boat over and that would have been the end of it. Yeah. Funny story. I was hunting in Alabama probably 15, 20 years ago and had the almost exact same scenario. Um we had roosted a turkey the night before. And so I went, they dropped me off. It was in some paper company land. I had a friend that lived down there and 
there was three of us hunting and he was, they were going to drop me off because we roost this one turkey and they were going to go somewhere else. And so anyway, I get in, I set up hour before daylight. I'm sitting under this turkey. I know where he's at. I'm within a hundred yards of him. And as it starts getting early in the morning, it's just starting to break blue. I hear this truck come up. He stopped, owl hooted, turkey never made a sound. He drives 200 yards, stopped, owl hooted, turkey never made a sound. The road turned and went up above us. He stopped directly above the turkey, less than 100 yards, owl hooted, turkey never made a sound. He drove around the mountain just as he was going out of sight. He stopped again, owl hooted, turkey never made a sound. He drove off. Five minutes after he drove off, the turkey gobbled in the tree. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, you know, and that actually, it's interesting, too. Um, I, that was actually going to be kind of one of my next questions is when it comes to kind of locating how you were saying that some of these Western birds, uh, how they're already gobbling. Uh, I was going to ask, oh, okay, so if a guy shows up to a new area, can he maybe kind of start driving the roads an hour before and, and maybe doing what that guy did? But it sounds like uh, it sounds like some of these birds, depending on the pressure, will maybe not say anything and something that you've kind of experienced firsthand, huh? Yeah, if a bird's pressured, they're going to be pressured. They're going to be hard to hunt. I get asked all the time, what's the hardest turkey to hunt? The hardest turkey to hunt is the, the turkey that's hunted the hardest. And that's yeah. just over the whole country. It doesn't matter where he lives. Uh, mm -hmm. But for the most part, Rio's like to gobble and Miriam's like to gobble. And when we're out west and we're running from spot to spot to spot, that's how I, that's how I usually try to roost. As you know, I'll drive and call, drive and call, and I'll coyote call out west. And, uh, you know, listen for turkeys to gobble. Most of the time they're gobbling before we even try to get them to gobble. But, uh, you know, but we do try to try to get them to gobble with a, with a coyote call. So Okay. So if a guy's doing that, he's driving the roads, he's hitting a coyote call, and uh, he's not really getting any responses. He's casting the call out in the valleys uh, with multiple ridge points. Uh, is it a safe bet to at least maybe for this trip to maybe kind of move on to another ridge system, another valley, and give it another go? It depends. If I'm if I'm seeing sign, if I'm seeing tracks in the road, or you know dusting or feathers or anything like that, I know there's turkeys in the area. Then I'll slow down and get away from the vehicle, get up on a ridge somewhere, climb up on a ridge and just listen uh, and try to roost that way. But if there's no sign, no nothing, I'm going to go until I start seeing turkeys, hearing turkeys, you know, seeing signs, seeing a lot of signs. I know there's turkeys in the area. Then I slow down and, you know, progress slowly after that, you know. Right. right. Sure. The way you're talking, I mean, it might be a good idea for Andre. You know, he drives his roads, but when he gets out of the car, he doesn't call. He just sits there and listens. Yeah. Um, so when you're, uh, I guess when you're looking at a new area, is there any sort of uh, terrain features or uh, any sort of habitat thing that you kind of look for? Usually when I'm out of state, um, I'm covering ground, covering ground till I find sign. Um, you know, a most of that's done by vehicle or whatever, but um, I look for creeks, water. Um, I'm, I like 
I like ridge, I like roost trees, you know, that kind of stuff. And you put all that together, um, then you then you start looking for sign. You start looking for tracks in the creek beds. You start looking for, you know, feathers, you know, droppings, that kind of stuff. And then get up somewhere mm-hmm. high where you can roost a turkey, where you can hear real good. That's the biggest key, is being able to hear turkeys. Mm-hmm. I do most of my turkey hunt with my ears than I do with anything else. So. Mm-hmm. Um, how how often is it that uh, a Rio or a Miriam will use the uh, the same roost tree or the same roost area? Um, I've I've got areas where turkeys roost in the same tree every year. I I, I would imagine that'd be a lot terrain dependent. So if you're hunting a big wide open area and there's just a couple trees in it, then you know they have no option. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's not that quite that bad around here, but right. uh, In some of the areas out West, I mean, you go to Texas and they don't have any trees. They only got, you know, six cottonwoods down in the Creek bottom. Your turkeys are going to be in them cottonwoods. So, so are you finding that the case then as well with, you know, so you're getting some more mountainous, you know, some, some more wooded areas. Do you you find they're not moving as much as well in in them areas too, or do you find they're, they're relocating throughout the week or whatever, you know, no, they'll they'll be here one day. They'll move. Uh, It depends. Like uh, usually in the fall, um, they'll have a different roost than they do in the spring. Um, So you might, you might find a, a, a fall roost that had a, bunch of droppings on it and some feathers and all that kind of stuff uh and not very many turkeys around it during the springtime um, i ran across that in arizona several times um but then you know you start seeing fresh signs scratching and that kind of stuff and and droppings you'll find you'll find some roost trees you know and, and birds like to roost mm-hmm. in the pines so um is there anything i guess uh when you're when you're doing the scouting, when you're trying to find the sign, um, anything you've noticed that the birds like to kind of gravitate towards? I like to have some type of an open area because gobblers like to get in the fields or get into an area where they can be seen and see approaching stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we we like running ridges, open hardwoods is I think the best thing you can hunt. I mean, that, that's my favorite anyway. I love to get in an open hardwood. Yeah. Uh, ridge or or a hardwood bottom or something but uh out west mm-hmm. you know you got to cover ground most of the time you're gonna go you're gonna go a ways before you find turkey but when you find turkeys you're usually in them you know but that don't mean that they won't move because yeah. they'll travel you know you've been out uh you talked about montana wyoming south dakota all those states those birds will move They'll do a five-mile lap during the day, you know what I mean? Uh, Sometimes they'll roost in the same general area. Sometimes they might be 300 yards over, you know, into a different area. I think sometimes it just depends on where they end up during the day when they're feeding or whatever. And uh, wherever, when it starts getting dark, they start looking up, see if they can find a place to to fly up to. Yeah, for sure. That, that uh, That sounds about right, for sure. I don't have any experience out west hunting Merriams or anything like that. I'm just strictly eastern, so yeah. this is all new for me. I'm, I'm eating it up. It's funny because you can see videos sometimes where, you know, a turkey will come 300, 400 yards across a wide open field and come right to the guy and have him kill it. 
And then, you know, you go out there and <laughs> the turkeys go gobble like crazy. They'll gobble everything you throw at them, but never come at you. They're just going the other way the whole time. In that situation, you better be moving. Otherwise, know, you're going to be sure. left behind. That's what happened to me in Wyoming. Uh, I had, uh, I think this was my first morning there. I I got into two birds and man, I closed the distance. They were still down below uh, in a uh, a private field. Um, they were maybe oh I don't know. I was able to get into oh maybe a hundred yards from those birds, and then they kind of weren't interested. They gobbled, but they were leaving. And it's so crazy how fast those birds just can get out of earshot. You know, sometimes they're just gone. Yep. Um, and I kind of made a little loop kind of following the private pasture. I did a little bit of a loop on the ridgetop, but I think they were just, you know, gone, gone because I was never able to kind of get back on those birds again. Yeah, they can move, they can move in a hurry and it always seems like they know where they're going and they're heading that way. For sure. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Joe, I think I'm going to buy your owl call because it sounded pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking possibly you know when i you know you started hunting in the early 80s and i started you know right around the early 90s and the choices for locator calls up here anyways were pretty slim yeah i mean you didn't have much to choose from and i think the owl call that i bought it, it was just a you could tell it was cheaply made i forget who made it and it was just a like almost shaped like a soup can or something and it just had a stem coming out of it and when you yeah. blew into it it sounded like one of them recorders that you got when you're in <laughs> elementary school in music class yeah so I, that one you know that one just kind of went on the shelf and i never brought that one out and the crow calls weren't much better it, it, it didn't have anybody t- teach me how to use them or anything so when i used it it sounded like i was blowing on a kazoo <laughs> yeah so when I first started turkey hunting, you know, locating turkeys with locator calls, it was something I learned to, you know, turkey hunting without having to do. Yeah. You know, so, you know, so now, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to get into it. I, I learned all who with my voice and it does me pretty good, yeah. but it, it just doesn't compare. My voice does, doesn't compare from what I'm hearing from these owl hooters that you're hearing out nowadays like the one you were blowing or or some of the other ones you hear some of the guys blowing so i'm i think i'm i think i'm probably gonna end up picking one up here just just for the volume part of it i just can't get i don't seem to get the volume that that you can get out of like your call there with my voice yeah the crow call now hooter can be a can be a weapon i mean it can definitely we usually use the crow call when we're like moving on a turkey. Let's say the turkey's moving off with some hens or, or hung up or something, and we need to get around and make a move. Uh, a lot of times after we move a little bit, we want to spot, you know, try to figure out where the turkey's at if he's not gobbling, and then hit a crow call to get him to try to shot gobble um, and give away his position, and then we can move into where we want to be, you know. So it definitely, definitely works. Actually, actually had an instance – in Mississippi last spring, it was it was early spring, so it was it was probably still in March, but the temperature was like 95 degrees out, and I was cooking. The AC in my truck wasn't working, so I pulled into one of them little impoundments, and I hopped in the water and cooled myself off, and 
clean myself up a little bit. And when I got out and I was getting dressed across the impoundment, a crow calls and I hear a turkey gobble. Well, I'm like, sweet. And I'm throwing my clothes on and I'm getting ready to go after it. So I go back out to the road. I drive to the other side of the apartment. I work my way up in the woods. And just before I put my butt on that tree, I hear, boom, somebody shot at it. Well, it turns out, and I seen them down there. There was a couple of gentlemen that were actually fishing down on on the impoundment on that side of the lake. And when I when I drove around to get back around to where the parking area was, they got back to the parking area and I, I asked them if they had got it. And they're like, got what? Did you get that turkey you shot at? Oh, he said, we're we're fishing. We ain't turkey hunting. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're you're fishing all right. Uh-huh. <laughs> one one of them snuck up into the woods there and tried to shoot that turkey and yeah. I had he was just closing his trunk before I got there, so I don't know if he had it stuffed in the trunk or not. I'm guessing he probably did. Yeah. Are the mile hooters, are they the same as like a, the, it's, the wood's going to dictate the, the volume or the pitch of the call? Yeah, wood, di- wood dictates the sound for sure. So you like so depending on whether you wanted a, a lower, more mellow owl hooter, if you wanted a higher, then yep. you'd pick a wood preference like that. So that's yep. probably... That one's actually a little bit higher pitched than the I, the other two that I have are um, black limba. Black limba is a softer wood, and so that one is osage, which is a harder wood. That one's got a little bit higher pitch than the other two. So now, now that we've cool. just brought that up, so in your experience, do you think turkeys are more responsive to a higher pitched or a lower pitched owl call? No, I think this is um, a lot of times they're shock gobbling to that, or sometimes, um, you know, they're waking up in the morning when the owls start going, the owls sound different. You know, sometimes you have a real deep tone owl, and sometimes you got a little higher pitched tone owl. Um, So I think it's just once they start going back and forth at each other, it'll get the turkey to gobble, you know. I I was just curious because it seems when I I do my voice, I have have better better response with my higher hoots yeah then then when i throw out lower ones and it it, and it it probably would be my guess is when i when i get the higher ones out and they say a lot of times t- when the turkey shot gobbles to a noise it's because it's in the same frequency range right so probably when i'm getting up in that higher pitch i'm probably getting into that same frequency range as a gobble than compared to yeah not lower and most of the time when a turkey will gobble to the to the owl it's when they laugh, that's when they usually will gobble. You know, most of the time they're not gobbling to the straight hoots. Sometimes they will, I'm not saying they won't, but if you put a few hoots together and then go into a laugh, that's when they'll usually get the gobble. You know, you, you go into a lot of time a turkey won't gobble that, but if you go, they'll, they'll gobble to that laugh. And that's when it, uh, you know, it triggers them for some reason. And that and that may play into that what I was talking about the higher pitch because it it seems that laugh is a little higher pitched than just the regular hoot. Yep, it is. Okay, Joe. Well, uh, uh, thank you again. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, I'll shoot you a message. And I'm gonna place. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to buy an okay. owl hooter. No problem. So. Just send me a text and 
your information and I'll let you know. When 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 Andre gets his and I get a chance to look at it, you, you might be getting a call from me too. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right, Joe. You, you have care. a good Happy one. Yeah. Pleasure to meet you, Joe. All right. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Off the Roost podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at Off the Roost Calls and on TikTok at Off the Roost Pod. Tune in for future episodes where we'll do our best to keep you informed and try to preserve the heritage that is the wild turkey. Mm-hmm.